We are studying a group, a series of messages on the life of Moses, life of Moses. And uh, we're all the way up into Numbers chapter 10 this morning and a message I call, I'm bound for the promised land. Let's all stand together, please, as we reverence the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 10 and verse 33. So they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for, three, for the three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day when they went out from the camp. And so it was, whenever the ark set out, that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. May God bless the reading of his word today as my prayer. You may be seated. I've been wanting to sing this all week, so I'm just going to join me if you know it. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. I am bound for the promised land. I'm bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. Amen. Amen. Our series on the life of Moses brings us to this passage. Many, many months were spent at the mountain called the mountain of God or the mountain of the Lord. That was Mount Sinai. It's where Moses spent those 40 days with the Lord, where he came down with his face shining with the glory of God. He received the law from God, all those detailed plans about the tabernacle. And then they painstakingly made sure that the building and construction of that tabernacle was done to the very letter, just so, just so. Furnishings were all put in place. An elaborate system of worship was established. An offering was received by the people we saw last week. That was more than enough so that when the tabernacle was finished, it was paid for. They had more than enough. They would observe the Passover. And after that, the glory cloud of God signaled to them that it was time to move. This passage tells us that the cloud, the glory cloud of God would linger, hover over the tabernacle. And it would do that by day. At night, it would be a pillar of fire that would hover over the tabernacle. And when it moved, then they knew that it was time to move. And when it came back, then they knew that it was time to stay. So God showed them and assured them of his presence with them and of his leadership. So that they never had to ask, well, is God with us? There was. Is God leading us? Oh, there it is. It's all right before them. What an exciting time this must have been. After all those months of preparation, you, you would think that the camp would be filled with singing and rejoicing and praising and thanking God as they pack up and move. 
They might not have been singing that old song, I'm bound for the promised land, but surely they had something similar going on. I mean, surely they were singing and uh, they were so grateful for Moses and his intercession. Uh, They were so thankful that God's presence is with them so obviously, so powerfully, God leading them. Man, they must have been excited. But now comes the second part of the title of today's message, Bound for the Promised Land and Complaining Every Step of the Way. That might be a slight exaggeration. They might not have complained every step. They might have made it a quarter of a mile or so before somebody started fussing. But it couldn't have been much further than that because the very next verse after our text says this, Numbers 11 and 1, Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it. And his anger was aroused, so the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So they called the name of the place to Barah, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. That word to means fire. In this connotation, it means fire that's been put out or extinguished. The Bible does not tell us exactly what they began to complain about at this momentous moment. Frankly, there's an unlimited number (laughs) of complaints. If you set out to complain, you can always find something to complain about. And they did. You would think that with God's glory so obviously among them, God leading them and working among them with such incredible blessings that they had received, you would think that They wouldn't be complaining, but they were. God would often call this murmuring. And let me say right up front that it's not a sin uh, to ask questions. Uh, There's a lot of preachers and pastors I know around the world who treat their people like they've done something wrong if they ask them a question. What? You're questioning me? Well, I'm not not that way. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not a sin to ask a question. If you've got a complaint, it's not a sin to complain. You can, if you just want to do it, you can do it. I can listen. The sin comes in when we start asking questions of people who can't answer the question. We're asking the questions of the wrong people. If they had a question for Moses, they should have gone to Moses with that question. If they had a complaint, they should have gone to Moses with that complaint. You see, the sin comes in. It turns into murmuring when we start talking to other people about anybody except the people we ought to be talking to. Then it becomes murmuring. The fact that God was moving among them should have been without question. But there's a sad but true principle that's shown here in this passage, and that is that whenever God is at work among a group of people of any size, thank God there will be some, and usually even most, most of the people will be excited about what God is doing and 100% sold out to what God is doing. But there will always be some who are not excited about it and maybe even are sold out completely against what God is doing. No matter how obviously God is working and blessing I hadn't been a pastor for quite two years yet 
when I saw a church go through an incredible revival meeting. Oh, I, I thought that place was going to just explode in growth. I, I thought it was going to be an incredible time, but I, I had no way of knowing that there was a bunch of people who were mad, upset. They didn't like it. They didn't like what was happening. There's too many new folks around. And I never would have dreamed that God people, God's people would have actually gone through an incredible revival and not like it. But there's always some. Uh, unanimity. Uh, Unanimousness. <laughs> I tell you, we have such a tr- uh, tr- so much trouble with unanimity, we can't even say it right. Uh, t- it's just not very common among God's people. Even the Lord Jesus himself faced a constantly complaining crowd. He dealt with them in Matthew chapter 12 uh, when he told them that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And he was telling that group that their evil thoughts was producing their evil speaking. In the end of that passage, you can see it for yourself, Matthew chapter 12. Jesus would warn them that they were going to give an account for every idle word. And the idle words that he was warning them about were those words of criticism and complaining where they complained about everything Jesus did. He either didn't do what they thought he ought to do or even if he did do what he obviously should have done, he didn't do it the right way. They found fault with everything Jesus did. And Jesus called that idle words. And he says, you're going to give an account of them. This text tells us that those idle words of complaint and criticism are heard by God. And if they are against something that God is doing, then he is still displeased by them even today. In our text, we see God moving in immediate and swift judgment. The fire of his judgment began to burn on the outskirts of the camp. Many people were consumed. They cried out to Moses, probably the very guy they were complaining about. Oh, Moses, help us. And, of course, Moses did. He interceded for them. The fire was quenched and... After that, revival broke out among them. I'm telling you what, everybody got right. They all came to the altar and prayed and repented. They got over that complaining and stuff, and they went forward. They were all excited, 100% sold out for God. Yes, we are bound for the promised land. We're going to be happy every step of the way. No, that didn't happen. Back chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, literally to the time they got to the promised land, they were complaining. And let me tell you something, not only did it not stop, it got worse and worse and worse. Bound for the promised land, complaining all the way. Oh. Well, we'll have a little fun with this passage this morning, but I tell you, it's not funny. There's stuff to learn about it. Remember that this is exactly what 1 Corinthians 10, Paul the Apostle warned about. He said, don't do what those people did. And part of the things he warned about, don't murmur like they they murmured. Don't, Don't learn from it. Don't make the mistakes that they made during this pivotal time of the wilderness wandering. And so while it starts there in chapter 11 and verse 1 with an unnamed complaint, it doesn't end there. In fact, the Bible is going to speak of three separate incidents of their complaining that we'll cover this morning. The first one is the manna incident, verse 4. 
Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense cravings. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now, when God brought them out of Egypt, there was a mixed multitude, the Bible says, that came with them. These were various people from other nations, including even some Egyptians. They had all witnessed the incredible power of Israel's God, and they decided to go along with them and just see what was going to happen. They wanted to be in on it. And now this mixed multitude is giving way to intense cravings, the Bible says, just deep-seated lust for things they once had in, things they once had in Egypt. Now, I could understand uh, uh, craving some fish. I get a craving for good catfish myself every now and then. I, I can understand that. But then the rest of the list, cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. What a list of food to have an intense craving for. So we see then in this passage that not only will there always be an unhappy crowd, now we're going to learn something else. If we hang around with the unhappy, unhappy crowd, it won't be long until we'll be unhappy too. So this started with that mixed multitude of complainers, but it quickly spread. Verse 10, then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses was also displeased. So it started with the mixed multitude, but before long, the whole congregation was boohooing in their door and their tents at night. It's supper time, and I don't have any cucumbers. I don't have any onions. I'd sure go good with a good steak. Oh, I want a steak. <laughs> Mixed multitudes complaining. The people are crying. God is angry. And he got to Moses really badly. So Moses cries out to the Lord, verse 13, Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep all over me. How many of you felt, ever felt like that? These people are just crying all over me. They weep all over me, say, give us meat that we may eat. And I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I found favor in your sight, God, if you care anything about me, just kill me. And do not let me see my wretchedness. <sighs> You know, you can't unhear something. I don't know if unhear is a word or not. If it's not, it ought to be. You can't unhear something. And what Moses had heard, it doesn't matter how many times you say, oh, just don't listen, don't listen. You, you can't. It's there. You've heard it. Our brains, more importantly, our hearts, do not have a delete button. You can't unhear something. So Moses takes this all to God, and he's just ready to die. Moses knew it would take a lot of meat to, fill this, to feed this multitude of people, but God said, hey, that's not a stretch for me. He sent a great flock of quail. They came through flying about waist high and even maybe fluttering. They were easy for the children of Israel to take. 
God said, you want meat? Okay, I'll give you meat to eat for 30 days. But he also sent a plague among them so that many died. And the place then was called the Graves of Cravings. The Graves of Cravings. Because they gave in to their cravings and complained. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 106. God gave them their request, but he sent leanness into their souls. We all need to take a long, hard look at that. Sometimes the things that we long for and lust for will harm us, and we know that. But sometimes the things that we long for and lust after really are not bad inherently, But listen to me today, they are not going to do us any good at all. We can spend a lot of time and a lot of energy doing a lot of stuff that does us no good. And if those things then that we've been doing are suddenly taken away from us, then we can be complaining and just crying and boo-hooing because I'm not getting to do something but The fact is, it never really did us any good. God gave them what they wanted, but he sent leanness into their souls. That is, that it did not supply what they thought it would. And in fact, in one passage, God would say, all right, you want meat, you'll eat meat until it comes out your noses. And I think you know what God was telling them. So there was the incident with the manna where they cried and they cried and over all those things they didn't have. The second incident then is the incident with Miriam. The incident with the manna, then it was the incident with Miriam. Miriam was Moses' sister, wrote Numbers 12 and 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Miriam and Aaron. You remember I told you it got worse. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now that's the second time that God has said that. He said it about their complaints. And the Lord heard it. Now now it's going on again. And the Lord heard uh, what was being said. One writer talked about that. You know, whenever people start out to speak like this and carry on like this behind the scenes, uh, there's always three parties to it. There is the speaker, and then there is the speakee, the person they're speaking to, and then there's the Lord, because the Lord hears it all. The Lord heard it. This one must have really stung, because it was Miriam and Aaron. The source of the difficulty seems to have been prompted by uh, Moses' remarriage. Now, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened to Zipporah, but uh, it is commonly assumed that Zipporah must have died. Uh, They they wouldn't have been complaining at this point in time about Zipporah because he'd been married to Zipporah all along. I mean, he married her while they were out of the picture. and It it was not Zipporah they were complaining about. Moses had married again, and the woman was an Ethiopian. They might not have liked that. 
they might not have liked, uh, I think, even more that Moses apparently married her without asking Miriam or Aaron what their opinion was. They didn't like it. Their response is, is, is easy, though, to, to see. Uh, Miriam and Aaron get to talking about it. And Miriam seemed to be the ringleader of it all. She said, you know, hasn't God spoken through us also? That was true. God had spoken through them. And, and, and they were prophets too. So her argument, you see, was that if Moses thinks that it was right to marry this woman, but her and Aaron think it's wrong, after all, we're all prophets. Then, the, hey, it's two to three. We're in the majority. Moses must be wrong to marry this woman. And he should have listened to us. God heard what they said. I, I can't say this in a reverent way, so I'll just say what's on my heart this morning. God don't beat around the bush a lot. He don't, he don't stumble. Uh, he's not going to put up with this for very long. God immediately called a meeting between Moses, Arian, Aaron, Miriam, and himself in the tabernacle of meeting. You remember that's the little tent that Moses had built where he went and he met with God off to the side. So he says, you meet me at the tabernacle of meeting. And sure enough, there's the glory cloud of God coming and descending upon them, uh, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Well, the Lord told them he had heard what he said, but he brings up something to them. You said, you, you say that you're a prophet. Yeah, but let's remember that there's not another prophet that I speak to like I speak to Moses. And God said, I speak to Moses like a man speaks to his friend. I speak to him face to face. And if anybody on that camp, in the whole camp, knew that, it should have been Miriam and Aaron. They knew that God spoke to Moses in a very special way. And they had a very special relationship. And so basically, God just told them, to hush. But that's not all he did. As the glory cloud then moved away from the tabernacle of meeting, they looked and suddenly Miriam was leprous. Was a leper. Now in Bible times, that leprosy, remember these were dark-complected people. And the leprosy caused them to turn white. And so that's exactly what the Bible says. They looked at Miriam and suddenly she was leprous as white as snow. Her face, her hands was white with leprosy. Aaron immediately interceded for her and said, Oh God, oh my, please, please Lord, uh, don't let her die like a leper with her flesh just consumed away. They knew that this was a horrible, horrible thing. Don't let this happen, God. And of all people, who do you think went to God and said, Moses? Who, who, who went to God and said, God, please heal her? It was Moses. Yeah, Moses. The very one they were complaining against. Mm -hmm. Turned around then and inter interceded for Miriam. God, please heal her. And God said, okay, I will. But not for seven days. Seven days then she would bear the plague of her leprosy, and she did. And the Bible gives us an interesting footnote that they did not complete or resume their journey. The whole congregation was held up while Miriam got over her leprosy. Are we leaving today? No, 
What are we doing? We're waiting on Miriam. What about today? We're leaving today? Nope. What are we doing? Why can't we go? We're waiting on Miriam. The whole congregation for seven days. Miriam still white as snow? Yep. Can't go. God let them all see it and let Miriam see it for seven days. Then he healed her. Now remember, she was claiming, and, and Aaron was claiming, you know, we're prophets too. We're prophets just like Moses. But they should have remembered that Moses was the one who came down from the mountain with his face glowing. And Miriam, by the way, she didn't get a glowing face. She got a face that was white with leprosy. You think God was making a point? Mm-hmm. He sure was. So there was the incident then with the manna where they complained about the manna. And then there was the incident with Miriam. God points out through all this that Moses was humble. Miriam and later Aaron were moved by jealousy. You know, jealousy can seethe for a long time. But it always finds a way to erupt, and it did. It was the incident then with manna, the incident with Miriam, and then there's the incident of mutiny. Remember, I told you it got worse. Numbers 14 and 1, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to him, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us out to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Now, chapter 13, which we, we're not going to cover today, but you can read it on your own. Chapter 13 rec- records a time when they actually came to the promised land and they sent in the 12 spies to spy out the land. They went in for 40 days. All 12 of those spies are, num- are named in Numbers chapter 13. Uh, only two of them, though, we commonly remember, and that's Joshua and Caleb. After the 40 days, they came back, and they came back with fruit of the land. But they also came back with a discussion of their great walled cities. And most terrifying of all, the sons of Anak, the giants that were so terrifying to them. So after that 40 days in the land, they brought back their report And that's what prompted the people to say what we read a few moments ago. Did you bring us all this way just for us to be killed by these giants and to die before these cities? They would cry all night. And the whole congregation very significantly said, We need a new leader to lead us back to Egypt. Wow. They actually preferred going back to Egypt over going on with God. It's incredible that such a thing could have happened. 
after they made this statement in chapter 14, Joshua and Caleb would appeal to them again, saying that God would bring them into land, pleading for them to stop this rebellion against God and against Moses. And after Joshua and Caleb made their impassioned plea, somebody made a motion to stone Joshua and Caleb. I was just kind of joking. I thought that might be kind of funny, but they didn't really make a motion, but that's just what they said. Let's stone Joshua and Caleb. So not only are we going to get rid of Moses and replace him, but we're also going to get rid of Joshua and Caleb and stone them for bringing such a report. The very idea that the great God of Israel who delivered us from Egypt can also deliver us into the promised land. The very idea that the God of Israel could do what he said he could do. We're going to stone him for that. Well, God determined that he would wipe the people out. He told Moses he would start fresh. Moses again would intercede for the people. And God responded to, the Moses, uh, to Moses' intercession. But he didn't take away that judgment. He just postponed it. He told them that they had spied out the land for 40 days. And because of that, therefore, they'd get a year for a day, 40 years. Then they would wander in the wilderness And all those people who had complained were going to die. And those ten spies who didn't believe God, they died on the spot. So we see that complaints and criticism can start small. People are complaining against what God is doing. They tend to grow They grow fueled often by real disappointments. They grow fueled often by the evil desires in the hearts of people. And the end result is that when you need faith, when you need to respond in in faith, faith is nowhere to be found. And fear takes over instead. The results of this are never good. And sometimes the results are catastrophic. Now, Paul told us very plainly in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that these things happened to them, for example, and he specifically mentioned this time and what they were doing, what was going on, said we need to learn from it. So, so let's, let's learn a few things today, just a few observations, and we'll be done. Let's remind ourselves that in any group of people of any size, when God begins to work and move, there'll always be those who are against it, those who complain They don't like the movement of God. Something's always wrong with it. And if you listen to that and get involved with it, before long you'll be as unhappy as they are. You'll be unhappy too. You can't unhear anything. And once you've heard it, it begins to affect the way you think. And complaining then results in people who aren't happy, with God who isn't happy, (laughs) and spiritual leaders aren't very happy either. Folks, this kind of negativity is a bad habit to get in, and it's easy for us. I fight it. I think you all fight it too. It's easy for us to go into this default mode where everything we hear about or everything we see, we begin to try to pick it apart and find something wrong with it. That's a bad habit. And if you've got it, you need to get out of it. Because an alternative is available. You know what it is? It's put on very prominent display, even though the Scripture does not specifically speak of it. We know that it's there because we know what God was doing. While all this was happening, 
the manna was still there. While they were complaining about all that stuff, you know what they could have done? They could have just been going out there and picking up, raking in the blessings of God and enjoying them. And looking over there at that pillar of fire and that pillar of cloud and say, hey, God is with us. God is leading us. God is providing for us. God is blessing. And instead of being so negative and critical, they could have just enjoyed the blessings of God and thank him for it. What a plan. I like that plan. I like that plan. But, you know, not everybody's going to take that plan. And, and you know it, and I do too. And what can you do about it? You find somebody that's just so negative and so critical, and they're just, their minds are continuing. Can you change their mind? No, only God's going to change their mind. The only thing I know to do about it is if it starts lightning, I don't stand too close to some people. I... <laughs> if you're one of them, sorry. You know, just. In any group of people, there are always those who find something to complain about. But you know, we have an alternative. We can enjoy the blessings and provisions of God and be thankful for what He's doing. In any group of people, there's always the possibility that jealousy will begin and flourish. It's rooted in pride. That was the original sin, and it's a sin that God hates. Seven things God hates, pride is number one on the list, and that's where jealousy comes from. It's pride. Jealousy causes people to ignore what God is doing through others because he's not doing it through them. It always finds a way to blow up. It always finds a place to come out. And a lot of times it's about something trivial and unimportant. In any group of people, there's always a possibility of jealousy. So there's always some who will complain. There's always a possibility that jealousy will move in. In any group of people, there will always be those who are negative and see only problems. And for whatever reason... Uh, people are inclined to believe them and go with that. We are something about us. Maybe it's happened in the fall. We're just, we're just inclined to see those problems uh, more than we see the power of God before us. We have to look hard sometimes to see the power of God. When we receive, respond with fear, when we believe the wrong thing, and remember, there's no particular virtue in faith. Faith, The virtue of faith is determined by what is believed in or what is believed. You can have faith in something that's not true. Have a lot of faith. You've heard me say it over and over again. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Because then I have to believe that this whole creation just created itself. And that life, everything we know about life and all of its complexity uh, just somehow happened. And, and I don't have a credible explanation for it. I don't have enough faith to believe that, but a lot of people do. These people had a lot of faith. <laughs> they had a lot of faith to believe that going back to Egypt was going to be better than going to the promised land. They believed the wrong things, though they believed it very sincerely. Faith is only as good as what it's believed in. When we believe the wrong things, then we miss the right things. The great preacher Sumner Wimp was fond of saying the real tragedy in life is not what we suffer, but what we miss. And that's the truth. 
But when God works, then we learn in this great passage that there's always the possibility of standing by faith and standing for what is right and against what is wrong, even if we have to stand alone like Joshua and Caleb did. Years later, this same Joshua, (laughs) by the way, he was an old, old man by then. And that same Caleb, who was also an old, old man by then, And I want you to know today that those two old white-headed men stood out in that crowd because there wasn't another person there that was as old as they were. All the old people were gone except for them. Even Moses and Aaron were gone. But you remember Joshua in Joshua chapter 24 would stand up and, and, and cry out very famously to the people, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve you the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood. Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want to go out like Joshua. I've served the Lord all my life. And I'm going to go out serving him. Go ahead if you want to. You can grab your way all the way to heaven if that's the way you want to live. Go ahead. I want to be like Joshua. I want to be like Caleb, 90 years old, still asking for a mountain to win in victory for God. I want to go out serving the same God I've served all my life. It doesn't mean mean that I'll have gone out without failures. It doesn't mean that I, I won't have made mistakes or that I won't have sinned or won't have failed. That's not what it takes to serve God. God does not require sinless perfection of us in order to serve him. If he did, none of us would make it. But it does require a commitment to following God by faith. So that when we mess up, we fess up. We confess our sin. We get right with God. And our God is faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us, and go on. But it's when we get locked into this way of living and way of thinking that takes us down this path. A path that robs us of our faith and fills us with fear. And, hmm, it can leave us missing a lot of God's blessings. A lot of battles that could be won. A lot of advancements that could be made for the cause. A lot of ways that we could advance the kingdom of Christ. And we miss it. We miss it. Of course, the most significant way that we miss the blessings of God is we refuse to be saved. And some of you might be sitting in that very seat this morning as lost as you can be. You know you need to be saved. The convicting power of the Spirit is upon you. You know you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know you need forgiveness. I've got good news for you. Forgiveness is available. If we'll call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. And God will keep that promise to you today if you'll do it. Maybe you've been saved, but you've never followed Him in baptism. Maybe you are Just absolutely convinced that God wants you to be a part of this church. But uh, you just hadn't made that decision yet. I want to plead with you. Whatever is on your heart and mind. 
then you step out. You make that decision. And whatever that means to you today. But all of us have to fight that battle with negativity. All of us will be tempted from time to time to turn complaining into murmuring. To turn questioning into murmuring. All of us fight that battle. And we need to learn these lessons. God is still as much today against murmuring as he was in the days of Moses. And we all have to give an account for it. Let's not murmur our way to heaven. Let's be bound for the promised land with a joy and anticipation of the mighty victories that are ours to win. Let's stand together, please.